Welcome into episode 78 of the Gunfronters podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. Finally, finally able to get back online here. Uh, guys, I know it's been a while. I know we let y'all on the hook. The last episode we did was dang, before the Iron Bowl. So we never got to talk about the ass kicking that happened inside Jordan Hare uh, back in November. Um, you know, it didn't talk about bowl season, the Kansas State throttling, you know, the throttling of the Big 12 champion. Um, you know, national champion. There, there, there's a lot that's been going on. You know, the the meat of basketball season, the heart of the SEC schedule. We're we're now in full swing with that. Uh, there, there's a lot that's happened. We apologize. Hey, look, I've explained this before. Life, life happens, and you know, when you're in college, and and I would have loved to have, to have thought about doing this while we were in college. That would have been great. We could have given you all. We couldn't have given you guys one every day. I mean, we we had nothing to do. Your schedule's wide open. You're not married. You don't have kids. You don't have jobs. You go to class for two hours a day. You come home and you do nothing except for grill out and drink beer and play wiffle ball and stuff like we used to do. Podcast but, live from Rounders. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome turn so, 21 live from Galit. Yeah. But, you know, as you get older, unfortunately, you know, I, I've not unfortunately, but, you know, unfortunately that, you know, we don't get to give you guys as much content as we would like, but, yeah, I've got two kids, work full time job. J Law's got a, a baby that just turned one year old back in early, early to mid January, and uh, you know he's he works a full time job plus some. I mean that dude is working from eight a.m. at night to or eight a.m. in the morning to ten p.m. at night sometimes with with all of the Silicaga. Hey, don't give me stuff. don't give me that much credit. I roll in about noon sometimes. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, still some late nights. You know the only and then Lester started a, a new job working night shifts, and so. You know, unfortunately, that puts uh, us in a situation where if it doesn't all three line up, you know, we don't want to do it. Me and J-Law can get on here and shoot the stuff. Me and Lester can get on here and do a two-man. And maybe we might do – if we have another lull, maybe we might do something like that. But, uh, you know, it's best whenever we're all three on here uh, because we talk nonstop daily. So, first thing we we do want to say is our – the fourth member, uh, not the youngest, J Law's brother Matthew is the youngest, but he's never been on the podcast. But Drew Montgomery, another member of the the Gump Runners, is uh, just as of eight thirty. So it is eight twenty eight right now. So right now he is getting to the hospital to have his first child. So we want to congratulate him, um, guys. How crazy is this? I don't know. I, I'm sure y'all know this. He, they don't know the gender. They are not finding out until it comes out. How much anticipation would you guys have? I would be, I mean, I'd be shitting bricks. I mean, I, you know, and, and that's not saying that I wanted one over the other. I just wanted to be healthy, but just not knowing. How is that even possible? Yeah, we, we did the 10 week test. Yeah. And got cool. and got it over with. So I would have no idea what to do if if I didn't know ahead of time. I mean, I was like, I was thinking about this, like, because you know, you get clothes. You get all the stuff. You buy stuff ahead of time. How does all that work for Drew? I guess. I guess we should have asked him. Yeah, it's like his, his baby showers. I guess just consisted of diapers and formula. That's about all you can get. You know, cribs, monitors, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, congratulations to Drew. I, I really hope you got a good nap in this afternoon. Um, and the best way to do it is inducing. Uh, we induce with AJ. It was so nice. We went down there. We had to be there at five o'clock. We, me and Paige, came home from work early. Took a half. Where she was off work. I, I took a half a day. Came home. We took good naps, 
And then, uh, you know, went down there, ate Chick-fil-A, eat on in the hospital. And, uh, and that's AJ the last the time you morning. slept. Yeah, yeah, it was. And uh, then, you know, of course, Alex, Paige woke me up at 3 in the morning. So, I was like, oh, So, yeah, um, yeah, hopefully Drew got him a good nap in this afternoon. So, congrats to him and his wife, Jamie Day. But, um, guys, Bama basketball, hot topic. And Lester, I'll let you open up because – you know, they say that if you say the same thing, it's like it's like Saban, the dynasty is dead. If you say it every single year, eventually you're going to be right. So this is like, you know, the fourth or fifth year that Alabama was good in basketball after the first two games and Lester crowns us the national champions of the Final Four, yeah. having a Final Four appearance. But Lester, buddy, you hit the nail on the head this year. Congratulations. Talk about what this team is doing and, and how they're – uh, I mean, they're just going above and beyond every expectation that was set for them in the preseason. Oh yeah, man. Um, it, exciting. It's it's it finally happened because since Nate has been in Tuscaloosa, we've always said there are certain things that he needs for this offense to truly, for one of his teams to truly unlock their potential. Good big man, depth, shooters length, and overall like a good team attitude, which Nate stresses a lot. And, man, I believe they check all of those boxes. They really, really do. And absent of having a superstar, five-star talent, you know what I mean? Brandon Miller is the cherry on top. I don't – I mean, it's it's come together – and it has evolved and has formed into this monster that is a serious threat to win a national championship. I think the odds came out today, and they were the the um, second favorite to win it all. That is so exciting, considered where we were from, you know, Gottfried, Anthony Grant, um, Avery Johnson. That, it is just bizarre what he has built in a relatively short amount of time. Since Nate has been in Tuscaloosa, all of his teams have been competitive, um, exciting to watch, first and foremost, and look at where they are now. They are here. They have arrived, and so far they have conquered pretty much every test that, that has been thrown at them so far for sure. Um I thought the game last night was – that's my favorite game to watch all year. It was exciting because you know in the past, in the past, teams would have folded. Like, you could you could see it coming. Teams would have folded. It would have been a, what, 10, 12-point loss with certain teams, certain coaches in the past. And this team grew up. They overcame. They outlasted and won. You can't ask for anything better than that. That game last night is so important going forward into the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament. They are battle-tested. They are ready. And it's just been such a pleasure to watch all year long. Oh, To, to me, what sets this team apart uh, from teams – I just use an in-state team, a team like Auburn, who after – getting their ass handed to them on their home court. Longest winning streak in the country. And I guess they just didn't want Alabama to ruin that. So they they said, let's go ahead and get torched by Texas A&M, get this over with. What sets this team apart, you know, Auburn's 16-4, and four, which is a very, very good record 
I mean, most teams would kill to have a 16 and four record. But that's on paper. And one thing that when you once you really break it down is the strength of schedule number. Alabama is number one in the country in strength of schedule. There's like over 300 basketball teams. This isn't like college football where there's 130. And there are a lot of basketball teams that play many different styles. And for you to have the number one strength of schedule in the country says a lot. There's no smokescreen here. This is a legit team that's won 90% of its games against tougher competition than any other team in the nation. I think that's why it's okay to buy into this team by now. Uh, it's okay to be skeptical at first, and I always am. I like to see how it plays out. But it's finally time to say that this is a legit national title contender, like Lester was talking about. Does that mean they're going to win it? No. It, this is basketball. If you know anything about basketball, uh, hell, they could be a first-round exit. They could be a second-round exit. Wasn't it a couple of years ago that I think it was Virginia – they got that was like the number one overall seed, not just a one seed, the number one overall seed in the tournament. Experts, all these bracket bracketologists, they thought Virginia was the best team in the country, and they get put out by a 16 seed. First time this ever happened. I mean, anything can happen in that sport, but with the talent that Alabama puts on the floor and the depth pieces that are forming behind those starters, yes, this team does have the talent to win it all. J Law, what has been I guess you could say the biggest surprise this year. I mean, we knew Brandon Miller was good. We didn't know he was this good. But let's go outside of BM24. Outside of him, what is your who was who was your biggest surprise player, I guess, so far this year? Because there's a ton you can choose from. Lester, I'm gonna ask you this same question as well. Who is surprising you the most on this Alabama roster? I mean, it's it's gotta be Mark Sears, right? I mean, yeah. You just didn't know what you were going to get from him. And he's a, an in-state guy that goes to Ohio. He's in the portal. You know you need a point guard because of how, you know, JQ, number one, coming off injury. Number two, before injury last year in the tournament, was just super hot and cold, unreliable, would have a good game, then three bad games and couldn't shoot it. So, I mean, Mark Sears has just come in and, man, like in some games where we needed it, he absolutely brought it, plays great defense. Heck of a shooter, facilitates like you would like you want your one guy to do. I mean, I've just been really, really impressed with him. And even Nate Oates said that this guy is not as I mean, they, they had no idea that he would be as good as he has been for Alabama. I mean, just but you look up and down the roster, not to steal Lester's Thunder, Noah Clowney, at least before he's missed like 18 threes in a row. Um, projected first round guy, like top 25 pick. Um I mean, and you, and even with like a guy that we were excited about with Namari Burnett going out, like we're we're still really good. But I think the the key for this team is as good as they have been on offense, the amount of points that they continue to not give up with the pace of play that they play with. Do we shoot the ball with sixteen seconds or or more on the shot clock almost every single offensive possession, and we continually hold what I would be, consider to be good offensive teams under the 70 point mark and it was funny Damian Fishback for the um, Vanderbilt games said in the pregame Alabama's going to drop 80 when 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 they're playing I know we didn't last night but you better be prepared to score 80 the only problem is Alabama doesn't give up 70 I mean they give up like what 66 points per game or something like that really low number 
for the pace of play that they play with. So when you add Brandon Miller with some of these key pieces that Alabama's had, some vets, some young guys and transfers, man, like this team really does feel like the whole package. And I don't want to go full blown Auburn 20, what was that? 2019 where they just, you know, were the most obnoxious people in the world because they were good at basketball. Once we still are the second winningest all time SEC program, but this team does have a chance. Will they go the distance? Who knows? Will they make a final four? Who knows? But I don't think that's necessarily just how you judge a team. This is Nate Oates' best team, and this is one of the best teams, at least so far, that Alabama basketball has ever had. Uh, yeah, Lester, the the length on the defense, J-Lo, the, to back what you were saying, and the, the rebounding. I mean, you're number one in rebounding. Again, there's over 300 basketball teams, man. For you to be – you're out-rebounding everybody. And just <laughs> to, make, to make it more impressive, go back to the strength of the schedule. You're doing it against the best competition in the country. You're out-rebounding the best competition in the country. And, and so it's it's just amazing what they've done with their length and the way they filled this roster, the way Oates has filled this roster. Um, so jalen has got Mark Sears. Lester, who, who is your not surprise player but biggest surprise? You know, who, who do you who – do who has surprised you the most coming in that maybe you didn't expect what we're getting out of them? Um, yeah, my my friends know me pretty well. Yeah, they're like you're dead on about uh Clowney. Um coming in as a in that whole class, you didn't really know it was like, you know, um Jaden Bradley, you know, Brandon Miller, and then you know, Noah Clowney, you know, who's this guy? You know what I mean? The two five stars got all the attention, but man, Noah Clowney coming in, you know, I haven't uh, a love for 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 the big guys coming in, contributing, playing defense. The guy can shoot. He can rebound. He's 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 a wild. He's not a a wild card, but it is wonderful to see how much he has contributed. Though he's been on a cold streak lately. I mean, man, wasn't it against Miss State on the road where he lit him up to begin the game or something like that? So, um. Noah Clowney, and I'm going to say this one too, surprisingly as much hate as he gets, surprisingly Javon Quinley quietly as he's kept, guy's been pretty good. He's plus 13 last night. Um, He's almost like a late game closer. I couldn't imagine previously thinking, okay, JQ is the guy who I want to have the ball in his hands towards the end of the game. But he's become that guy. I think Oates trusts him more than the average Alabama fan does. And it's just been good to see considering all that he's been through. So um yeah, I'll definitely go with, with Clowney then right behind him, um JQ for sure. You know, we asked JQ at the beginning of the season, just play within the offense. You don't have yes. to be uh, a one it's not a one man team. You don't have to make it a one man team. We felt like that's what he had to do last year. And it's not on him. I mean, he's looking at it, he's like, damn, I mean, you know, Shaq's doing this, ain't nobody helping me out. Let me just go try to get a bucket. And then, you know, he ends up throwing up a bad shot and everybody's mad at Q. And when you really sit back and look at that season and how there was no there was a lack of effort on the defensive end and offense, you know, a lot of standing around stuff like that. And because I mean Oates hadn't changed his system. He's, I think he's preached more defense and rebounding, but they, they say you can't teach effort. Either you give it or you don't. And I think that's why a lot of people were ready to see Shaq, a guy like Shaq, move on because he had been here so long 
and he tested the waters two or three years in a row and everybody's like, okay, dude, like you're, you're giving less and less effort every year. It's almost like you think you're too good to play college basketball, like just go. And so he finally did. And, and it was, it was big for Alabama because he, he's got a bunch of fresh meat in here and, and, you know, there's fresh blood in there and, and, and everybody's hungry. You know, that, that's the, that's the difference is, is you had a bunch of guys last year as more of an experienced team. The guys like Keon, there's a bunch of two and three year players, but it's just the, the hunger wasn't there, even though, you know, I guess they had won in 2020. And so the, they, they had gotten maybe a little complacent, but I, you, you didn't, you see, you see the hunger with these guys and you guys love Sears and Clowney. I love those two, man, but I've, I've two guys myself. I have to mention, I love Jaden Bradley. Now against Mississippi State, he was minus eight in the uh, plus minus, and uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, it, it seems like whenever we need a big play, a big and one, the way he controls his body when he drives in the paint, and then he takes contact and just waits, 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 and then boom, just kind of floats it up there right at the last second as he's coming down. You know, the double clutch and ones that he gets, the double clutch points that he gets in the paint – I think are huge. Um, not the best shot. He doesn't shoot it much beyond the three, but you know, and he will get a little wild at times, but I think he's starting to reel that in a little bit, especially on the fast break. But uh, I love what Jaden Bradley has, has been able to do, especially early in the season, you know, whenever Quinterly was, was playing sparingly and then Bradley really started to hit, hit his stride and, you're like, well, where's Q going to fit into this? And I think Oates has done a good job of mixing all three of them into a rotation. Not the biggest fan of two guys under 6'3 on the court at the same time, but if you're in a small lineup, what's it matter anyway? Plus the way Sears rebounds. I mean, he might as well. He rebounds. He's 6'5", 6'6". And uh, another guy that's quietly becoming one of my favorite players, he's not going to wow you with his defense. He's not going to wow you with his – his offensive ability, but Rylan Griffin, I love what he brings to the table. He's just quiet. He's going to shoot three or four trays a game. He might knock down one or two. Um, he's at right at 29, 30%, I think right now in the year from the arc. Uh, but if you look over his last five or six games, you know, you see a, a one for two, two for four, two for five, three for six. This, you know, he's shooting – above 30% per game or 35% per game. So I really love what Rowling Griffin brings to this team also. It's just you can't ask for a better fit as far as guys filling roles. You know, you got the athletic big, like that's what we're talking about. We've been begging for one. Like Dante Hall was great, but we've been begging for that athletic big that's going to go up and just catch the lob and throw it down. But Iaco's hands have improved. He's still not the most athletic out there, but Clowney makes up for that being a stretch guy. Um, Jaylon, I talked about since Oates got here. When you're going to run this system where you're going to take a lot of shots from deep, 33% is my number. I'm like, if you average 33% for the year, there's no guarantee that you're going to win the national championship. I said, I promise you'll win 23, 24 games in the regular season. Well, this is the first year they've done that. They're 34% from deep right now. Last year was more of a live and die by the three team. I I see this team winning in more ways than one. This this year, this team can win on defense as well, as you saw against Mississippi State. 
um, when, when they didn't have it. Uh, they didn't have it from the field. They didn't, you know, they shot, shot well from the stripe. But you've had games where you've shot under 30% from deep and still found a way to win. Seems very resilient. But talk about the shooting that you're getting. I know you said Clowney's been cold. I think Sears has actually been pretty cold too in the games against Vandy, Missouri, and Mississippi State. But uh, 34% from deep as a team, 72% from the stripe. I mentioned number one in rebounding. They're making 10 made threes per game. So they're still shooting a lot of them. But what's the difference in between – or what's the difference between this year's team and previous year's teams? They're making them. This is what happens when you shoot the three in volume and you make it. Yeah, and, you know, this was kind of – this style of offense and missing the threes is what – you know, Coach Cal gets criticized about today when they they were asking him about changing his offense a few years ago, and he was saying, "Look, you go out there and you shoot forty threes, and you make seven of them, you're going to get beat by twenty. You know that hasn't necessarily happened to Nate Oates at Alabama, but we did. We've had lost our share of games over the last few years with some teams and some rosters that didn't necessarily shoot the three ball well enough to play in the system, and it's not just about hitting the threes it's about what hitting the threes does i mean it opens up the floor in the games that we hit threes in it seems like charles bediaco and nick pringle guys like that have better days rebounding that better days with putbacks better days scoring in the paint just makes it a little bit easier and that's just today's basketball i mean i'm watching a silicaga game on nfhs right now and they do the same thing they hit their threes they're going to beat you by 20 if they don't hit them, it's going to be a nail-biter going down the stretch. But if you have enough shooters and you have a deep bench to where, you know, if if Mark Sears isn't hitting them, well, here's our next guy. And so, I mean, that's that's kind of how the game is right now. And NATO's has a team and a roster that can knock them down. And pairing that with playing great defense and also making threes allows you to get back on defense and doesn't allow teams out to fast break points. And I think that's why you've seen this Alabama team be as locked down on defense uh, as you've seen them so far this year. I mean, just think about this the other day, too. At Missouri, they didn't shoot the three ball well. No, neither did Missouri. But Alabama had a relatively bad day shooting the three for them. They went by 21 on the road in front of 16,000 people. So, I mean, this team, he kind of they kind of have it all. And you know, it's just exciting to think about their potential. You hope it doesn't, you know, go down in flames like UCLA Sweet 16 style. Um, but, you know, we, it, it, we should just appreciate it. And appreciate, you know, Greg Byrne getting Nate Oates here and, and the amount of work that he, Petway, and Hodgson do on the recruiting trail to get Brandon Miller, Jaden Bradley, Noah Clowney, JQ, and even Mark Sears type guys on campus to put this product on the floor. Because we, Lester, we, me and Lester used to talk about it all the time. Like it wasn't even almost worth going to a Bama game while we were in college because we we're going to score 45 and we're going to be grinding out games 50 to 47. This is Ugly. so much more fun, and this, we should just appreciate it. Yeah, it man. Remember, we were we were so excited for Avery Johnson. Anthony Grant was already there when I got to school. We were so excited for um, Avery. Good Lord, that, yeah. Outside of a couple exciting games, it was tough. But I want to bring up a, a underrated part about this team so far: free throws. Alabama does not win last night without hitting their free throws. That is so important when you get down to close games. Even though the free throw discrepancy, I think LM shot 19, I believe, where they made, was it 17 out of 19, 16 out of 19? 
whatever, you know, you win by three. You know, if you shoot 50% from the stripe, that's an L. You know, making your free throws, make them in big moments, that is so underrated. People talk about the threes and, you know, all that stuff like that, but the little things, rebounding, making your free throws, playing defense, that's what has me so excited about the teams because, like I said, we've seen it in the past where if Bama just makes their free throws. How many times have we said that? They just made their free throws. If they were just 70%, if they were just 75% from free, throw, from, for free throws for the night, they win. But this team is doing that. And once again, thinking in the future, the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament, all those things matter to having a successful run. Lester, how far does this go as far as a win streak right now? Because Alabama, since losing to Gonzaga, you've won nine in a row, eight SEC games, and, and then a, a Jackson State win before uh, the conference play started. You've got Oklahoma on the road, Vandy, LSU, Florida. Then you got back-to-back Auburn, Tennessee. And then uh, how, looking at the schedule here, I'm looking at – you, and once again, you can't assume anything in basketball. Didn't anybody think that Mississippi State was going to jump out to an 11 point lead on Alabama on their home floor last no. night or Wednesday night? No, no, nobody thought that. Alabama was like 13 point favorites. But you would assume on paper, Alabama has maybe four to five losable games. I still think they win three or four of them. You know, you got to go to Auburn, to Tennessee. If you had to predict, what's Alabama's final record? How many games do you th- – or how many losses do you think this team can end up with? Ooh, as far as, like, finishing on SEC play? I, so, if they would have won last night by 20-plus, I would have predicted probably two losses in the SEC play from anywhere. And I say that because more talented teams are going to have a Mississippi State first half. You know, more talented teams are going to have a Mississippi State first half and are able to keep it up in the second half. You're going to get teams' best effort, you know, of course, from this point on. Teams are going to come in crazy hot. They're going to bomb away in the first half. But against Mississippi, Mississippi State, this team endured that. They endured the punches. But in having that close close win, you know, hopefully this team has opened their eyes like, uh-oh, like, you know, this can happen. We can get our butts beat. Yeah, we can you know get what I mean? beat by anybody, yeah. By anybody, right. It's not like Kentucky came in and you had a close win. It's not like, you know, Tennessee came in and you had a close win. No. Bump, not bum-ass Mississippi State, but Mississippi State came in and almost knocked your block off. So I I really, I really, really think this team has a chance to go undefeated um, throughout the rest of SEC play. But I, I think that Tennessee game, man, because um, that team's going to be hella motivated. They're hella talented on the road. Um, but, yeah, I – for the sake of not saying they'll go undefeated, I'll say that they'll drop one. But the thing is that effort, defense, rebounding, you know, free throws, that stuff travels. So as long as they keep that up, 
I have the utmost confidence in this team going, you know, finishing out undefeated in the SEC play. But I, I'll, I'll say they'll drop one. Tell you what, I think the city's still on fire from football season. But if we lose twice in Knoxville in the same year, <laughs> that's going to be tough. <laughs> What's the equivalent? Are they going to rip down a goal, uh, a, a, a basketball a rim goal and throw down river the river? Too? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wish the whole yeah, I, would just fall into I just the think- river. The only three losable games to me in the re- at least regular season is at Auburn, at Tennessee, and then at A and M to close out conference play. I mean, those yeah. are, those are going to be three really tough ones to win. And I, I mean, you could you could really see. I mean, just because of how hard it is to play on the SC on the road in the SEC the last few years. I mean, the the competition levels how much higher the crowds are in it. I mean. Going on the road in this league, man, it's 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 tough. And I could see Alabama losing all three. I don't think they will, but it's definitely a possibility. Jalen, I want you to think about this. And if it's if you don't think it's anything, tell me. Because part of me thinks it's nothing. Part of me can kind of see how something could be up. But even though Alabama did they did go to Vandy. And win. They did go to Missouri. They didn't have Kobe Brown, which that would have helped them out a lot. I still think we win the game, but I think it's a lot closer than 21 points. And then you squeak by Mississippi State at home. You beat LSU by sat by 40 a couple of Saturdays ago. Beat, I mean, beat the dog piss out of them after going to Arkansas and winning by 15 on the road in one of the toughest atmospheres in the country. You beat LSU by 40. Darius Miles goes out. Has that whole thing happen? Everybody knows. I don't have to explain it here. Do you think that that's affecting the team at all? Or because you you kind of come out, you started flat against Vandy. You pulled away late and ended up winning by twelve. Um, like you said, you don't shoot it well in Como, and then you come back and play like piss against Mississippi State on your home floor with a great crowd, great Wednesday night crowd, um, especially for an 8 p.m. tip. Do you think there's something going on here, or, or am I just overreading it? I just think I remember the year that we went to the Sweet 16 having a midseason lull when it came to shooting. I remember being down to Missouri. Y'all remember Missouri was beating us by like 20. Oklahoma like, on the road beat us that year in this big Yeah, right, exactly. So it feels yeah. somewhat familiar, but it was we weren't shooting it well and we didn't have any defensive presence to to kind of keep us in games. And so I was actually thinking about this the other day, so good question is that is are these last few games our mid, you know, mid conference play lull where we just don't shoot it well and other teams are hanging in it that you know we definitely have more talent than. Well, you know, I'll take it if we're winning those games. Um, you know, so I, I'm not sure what the Darius Miles situation brings because I've never been in one of those situations. I could definitely see it being a distraction from what we know. No other players were involved, involved in that incident. So, I mean, I mean, for them, you know, I guess their, their slate's clean, but still a guy that's in your locker room for the last what three years that you were probably friends with that you were that was living in your dorm or in your apartment complex and you spent a lot of time together is you know behind bars for capital murder charges i mean guilty not yet uh innocent until proven guilty rather so i don't know it could be messing with the team a little bit but i just think it's hard to play as lights out as alabama played for as many games as they played in a row 
And if we hit a little, you know, a little slow moment here and then start picking up when when it matters, when you get into the SEC tournament play uh, and the NCAA play, NCAA tournament play, man, I'll take it. You know, that to me. But it's, it's a good question. and we, we just don't know. It seemed like Nate Oates was okay. He was doing TikTok dances with his daughter and had some moves. So, We'll see, but I think you'll I think you'll be able to tell over the next four or five ball games because Alabama's still got a lot of tough tests in front of them. Yeah, you really hope it's just a a midseason low because I mean it gets monotonous at some point. It's just like baseball, and it's a long season. Of course, it's not nearly as long as a lot of games. Yeah, a lot of games, and you're playing thirty, thirty one games, and and. You've got the same – you've got to get to – in season, you have routines, and you really can't do it anything. You can't keep your players guessing in season. They have to know, okay, I'm getting up at this time on these – like, say we play on a Tuesday. I know this is exactly what I have Wednesday. This is exactly what I've got Thursday, Friday, and then we go play Saturday. You can't throw them out of a routine and do something different because then, you know, you just you don't you don't want to change anything up, especially when you're winning. You're on a win streak, um, so hopefully that's it. Because yeah, in 2020 we did hit that. We think we started 10 and 0 in SEC play, but we did drop that game in the Big 12 SEC Challenge to Oklahoma on the road, which Alabama has to go play um, on the road with Tumpka or with Tumpka and Oklahoma again um, this this Saturday, but. Uh, Lester, as far as the basketball, you know, the hardwood, is there anything you want to add? Uh, you know, we, we've covered – I mean, we can talk about Brandon Miller all day, dude. I don't think we can say anything that hasn't been said. Uh, I mean, the guy's phenomenal. I think he's far and away the best player that's ever come through this university. Um, but, you know, we've covered the rest of the roster. We've covered defense, rebounds, offensive, you know, coaching, the plus-minus stuff. I love Oates's analytical approach because um and people that are listening out there follow this the plus minus minutes nate oates is getting that sheet of paper every four minutes every media timeout he's getting that and lesser what i tell you against mississippi state i told you in the first half i said hey chuck's bad chuck's getting embarrassed yes. get him out yes. get him out get him out i said bradley i said i don't like bradley and sears on the floor at the same time bradley struggling I said i don't like this tonight and, of course, you know, it's easy as a fan to say that because we don't recruit the kid. We don't get to know him, his mama, <clears throat> excuse me, his story. You know, we don't, you know, push him, and, and he doesn't give his all for us. And so I understand that Oates trying to lead Chuck in as long as he can because he's he's earned that. I mean, we don't have a ton of depth at the big. You, you've got Clowney, Bediaco, and Pringle. Uh, you know, Gurley really doesn't do much. But, uh, you know, those four, and, and Chuck's, one of the better of the four, of course, him and Clowney, but you can see early. And then what did I tell you with like four, three, four minutes ago? I said, Hey, Chuck hadn't played since the 10 minute mark. Said him and Bradley had been out. And sure enough, you look at the end of the game and Chuck was minus 11. Bradley was minus eight in the plus minus. And Oates is like, you know, I'm going to give you 30 minutes to figure it out. But these last 10 minutes, I've got to put my best five matchups on the floor that have that have been the best for me tonight. And it's different every single game. And, and you know, Q was like plus 13. I don't know if he's been plus like the whole season, but just maybe a couple of times. But he's usually one of the ones in the negative because of the turnovers and stuff like that. But I love that analytical approach that he and, and I know he's always had it, but 
Um, I guess I've just really started paying attention to it this year, but I love that late in the games he's going with the guys that throughout the course of the game have given him the best chance to, you know, put, you know, be positive in the scoring column. Right, yeah, that analytic stuff, it's, it's pretty fun to look at. I know it's been going around um, in, in the NBA for for a little while now. I, I'm fairly familiar with it, but it's good to see other people catching on and catching up to it because, like you said, it's interesting to look at the numbers and who to play, when, where, and in what spots. But, you know, what's worrying me a lot, though, is Chuck playing terrible. Now, against some teams, certain matchups, he's not going to play a lot, but when it's favorable matchups for him, you know, regardless, he's got to come in and be a dog, bro, because the offense is it's not predicated on him, but it will flow so much smoother if teams had to think about, okay, Bediaco, he's going to catch a lot, play the pick-and-roll game. If they just had to think about it and cover him, just get just make them keep one body in the paint. And last night, that just wasn't there, man. That That's kind of worrying. But he's going to have to grow up and get that dog mentality because we're going to need him down the stretch. And it's like, you know, J-Lo just said that there's a lot of games. And not every night's going to be your night. You you look at oh yeah, I'm the best shooter in the world, Steph Curry. Probably the best shooter to ever live. That joker, he has nights where he's going to shoot 25 20% from deep. We just can't find it. You know, it is what it is when you play so many games. Same thing with baseball. You play 162 games, buddy, you're going to have a couple of golden sombreros. It is what it is. Everybody has those days. Everybody has those nights. And, you know, maybe Chuck's happened more than everybody. Like, if you if you think about it, I mean, I don't – I don't. you don't want to say he's the worst player in our rotation because that makes it sound negative. But, yeah, out of the talent we have, Badiaco's probably one of the lower like, – okay – Say say you were rating rating them on a on a two K, right? You know, like Miller's a ninety nine, Clowney's what eighty four, whatever eighty five. Bediaco, yeah, he's going to be about a seventy seventy one. Yep, correct. <laughs> saying, but correct. I mean, we still expect more from him. But at the same time, I don't expect him to go out there and be Oscar Sheboy from Kentucky. I, I don't expect anything like that. Um, but yeah, ho- yeah. Hopefully, he can bounce back against Oklahoma on Saturday. But yeah, Alabama basketball fun to watch, man. And uh, really hope to keep it up. I'd love to make a tournament run. It was super fun. Even even when we made it to the Sweet Sixteen. That was still a, a great ride. It's you know everybody loves the tournament. But um, real quick, we're gonna touch on the coordinator situation for the football team at Alabama. Um. Of course, Alabama is currently without an offensive and defensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, Pete Golding leaves for Ole Miss and uh, got to pay a pay raise. And people are coming out saying that Saban offered him a raise to stay or whatever. And it it may be – I mean, Saban's always taught highly of Golding. Of course, you know, he's never going to badmouth a coach that's on staff or that's – you know, a former coach, whatever. He's just not going to be that guy. But that might be true. I don't know. I, I highly doubt it. But at the same time, I don't think Pete mentally was going to be able to withstand being the D.C. at Bama for another year. I think he was having mental breakdowns. I think he's got a whole – there's a lot of rumors circling around 
about family issues, whatever it is. Um, you know, everybody knows about the DUI last spring or summer, whenever it was. But um, yeah, and then Bill O'Brien, as expected, was uh, his contract was not renewed. He takes a job with the New England Patriots. So I guess that's Nick Saban's way of firing somebody. Okay, let me get you another job. That way I don't have to come out and put on your resume fired because that's a bad word. You know, as a coach, you don't want that on your resume. You don't want that F word on your resume. So Nick Saban, you know, make sure they get another job first. And then, you know, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, we should wish you could have stayed. Like, no, Bill O'Brien, get the hell out. But J-Law, I would say a wish list for OC and DC, but we're pretty much had the same one. Everybody knows who you want as your defense coordinator. There's there's two options, and I think anything outside of those two would be a bust. But offensively, give me your top two or three guys that you would like. Yeah, you know, I mean, some guy – well, number one, you know, Dabo made a quick move and – took my number one so give give him props there for realizing he's got a damn problem and he needs to do something about it um you know everybody hates Dabo anyway so that's probably his mentality is like screw it they're already talking trash about me because I talk about God in my press conference so I can fire somebody it's not going to change anybody's mind um you know I, I really wanted Garrett Riley I thought you know even though that they sucked it up in the national title game that his style of offense, the, his willingness to run the football, spread the spread the defense out and run the football was key for me uh, to really liking him. But, man, Jeff, Jeff Levy does the same type of stuff. Tom Hermony, power run, out of the spread. I mean, I like Dan Mullen, but they say Chris Lowe says he's not coming. Joe Brady, a lot of people think there's interest there. There's always – it feels like there's so many options at offensive coordinator because of – the and it's in quality option because of how the game's set up right now. And there's a lot of people with this background and it could be somebody we don't know that come out and have a great, great offense for us. But on defense, man, it's just a little different. Like there, you look around college football, there aren't a lot of teams playing good defense and there aren't a lot of teams, you know, competing for national titles because they don't play great defense. And so if you're Alabama, you're thinking there's two, three guys that, in mind that if we don't land any of those three, we're probably going to be in the exact same place we are for Pete Golding. Because, listen, Pete Golding's not bad. The problem is he's not elite, and there's not that many elite guys out there when you could probably say there's tons of elite guys on the offensive side of the ball. and defense, if you get Pruitt, Schumann, or Leonard uh, from Wisconsin, you think you have an elite guy on offense, man. You could go anywhere. And um, so I, they're both critical hires, but I would put a lot more – I think you'll know immediately if you're going to have a, a really improved defense based off of who they hire there as opposed to, all right, well, we don't really know this guy on offense that well, but we'll see because nobody knew who Joe Brady was until Joe Burrow and that 2019 LSU team. So I do think that you can land, that you can bring in an unknown guy that you really like that interviews well, that shows you his playbook, terminology, et cetera, et cetera, and you – can have confidence in that guy to, to bring you what you need. But I just don't think that's the case as much on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Lester, do you agree with defensively Pruitt or Glenn Schumann? I, I think, you know, both have been in Alabama system. They know what Nick Saban wants to do. They're both relentless recruiters. You can pay players now. So Pruitt would feel right at home uh, with the McDonald's bags and stuff. But uh, you don't have to cheat at Alabama. <laughs> you don't have to do that. 
he went over to Tennessee and found out that it's a hell of a lot harder when you don't have Nick Saban as your boss. And, uh, of course, you know, Heupel's getting guys now because he's just paying them because he's able to do that. But they're familiar with what Saban wants to do as a base, and they take that and they make it way better. And I don't think that's something that Pete Golding never really understood. He can never really figure out. They can, it seemed like they were never on the same page. Um, Lester, is that what you're thinking for the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I am. A part of me wants kind of – Kind of want somebody not new or innovative, but maybe someone who kind of has their own system. Not that there's anything wrong with Nick's, but that's not gonna happen. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. But I, I, I think for the defensive position, if it's Nick Saban's system that you're running, what Pruitt brings is not scheme. It's not anything necessarily, you know exotic or X, Y, and Z, what he brings is intensity. You know what I mean? The defense lacks intensity, lacks that dog mentality. I mean, how many times of what J-Law said, Pete Golding, his frat boy, you know, whole get up. I just want to drink beers and kick it with the boys. You know what I mean? Pruitt ain't putting up with that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, Pruitt, what he's going to do if he if he's allowed to come is he's just going to bring intensity this defense needs a complete change in mindset if the scheme is right if the scheme is good the difference in coordinators is intensity and the intangibles that they bring to the table he didn't bring any intangibles with him he didn't and he didn't develop any while he was here so if Pruitt is that guy bring it on because you know from the time he stepped in the door the defensive mindset is changing, and if you can't handle it, get out. You know what I'm saying? Because that's that's how I believe he truly is going to run his defense. So, well, you and, know, and, and another just, thing, yeah, you you make a good point. Yeah, you can't be a D coordinator and be chill, right? We, we talked about that before. Um, but another thing about Pruitt that I would favor over Glenn Schumann, even though Schumann is the next up and comer. J-Law, do you think that Schumann would be quicker to take a head coaching job over Pruitt? Because Pruitt, he's – he's if this is the typical case of been there, done that. Look, I was not ready to to leave the – to leave Mama Bird. Like, I was not ready to leave the nest. I, I needed I needed to develop a little bit more. I went out. I, I tried to cheat. I got caught. You know, hopefully you don't get hit with the show calls. So – do you think that maybe Pruitt has learned his lesson? Therefore, when he if he was able to come back to Alabama, he wouldn't be a one and done or two and done guy. That he would stay here maybe three four years, and you know, because just I think that's what has helped Kirby so much is that these guys come into Saban's program and stay for two to three years and think that they've got it. You don't just pick up on all the little details that Nick Saban sees in two or three years. How long was Kirby here for? Eight years? Seven, eight, nine years? I mean, think about, and he was Saban's right-hand man because he had that longevity. So think about what Saban told him that he didn't tell Lane Kiffin. You you understand what I'm saying? That he would never tell Tosh LePoy or Pete Golding or even Jeremy Pruitt. And so 
that's what has made Kirby so successful. Everything he does, Kirby copies. And it's so detail-oriented. The dude is damn stretching, just stretching his, his new hip out on, on the turf in the Superdome before the Kansas State game. The next day, Kirby has made sure that he is filmed stretching with his team. Dude looks right at the camera. He knows exactly what he's doing. And yeah, at Alabama, it, Alabama fans, it's easy to hate him. It really is. But thing is, we created that monster. I mean, without Nick Saban, that guy's nothing. He, he He's just a, an intense coach with no natties. <laughs> I mean, but he he stayed there, and so maybe do you think J-Lo, that if Pruitt was to come back, that he would be a little bit more patient with his with his next job? Yeah, I do. I do think that's probably one of your keys for Nick. Is you know, not only did Jer- Jeremy Pruitt just didn't go out and he went out and got beat a lot. And you know, when Kiffin was at USC, man, they were on sanctions. It was tough for him. He's still fielded. You know, while he was there, a lot of the time a highly competitive team, and I don't think the situation worked out for him. Sarkeesian was another guy, you know, had he just had a drinking problem. Like, they were a competitive team. They were good. Steve Sarkeesian was a good coach then. He's, you know, probably not as good now as he was then as far as a head coach, but those types of guys tasted success. And I think Jeremy, when Jeremy Pruitt left, he never really got, a taste of success. He kind of flopped. Like downhill, yes. Said, yeah, absolutely. You know, he didn't – nothing good happened for him. Like, Mike Loxley's winning at Maryland for Maryland standards. I mean, if you think about that. But for Pruitt, he went there and nothing good happened for him. And maybe he sits back and says, you know what, maybe $2 million a year to be the D.C. at Alabama is, is what I need to be doing. Nope, the pressure is off. The – the running the full-fledged program stuff is off. You can focus on coaching the defense and and being a, a legend at Alabama, at a school that he loves. Think about that, guys. He did an interview after he was fired by Tennessee and said, make no mistake about it, I'm an Alabama guy. I mean, I think it was going into the Alabama-Tennessee game this year. I mean, he said, I'm an Alabama guy. He, like, he wants to be in Tuscaloosa. And I think that he could really make a push to really help save and kind of finish his last four to five years out in Alabama with two, if not three national titles, just by having a legitimate defensive coordinator. Cause man, you could even make the case that both games that we lost this year that kept us out of the college football playoff. I know we scratched our head and we were mad about Bill O'Brien a lot this year, but Alabama's offense still never left the field in the fourth quarter trailing. For the talent right. that you had on the defensive side of the ball, that's inexcusable. Yep. Correct. Like, with our offense never left the field in the fourth quarter with a deficit. Bryce Young and Bill O'Brien either tied the game up or took the lead every time they had the ball in the fourth quarter. And we lost two games. I mean, that's to me, that's just not acceptable for this Alabama defense. And it wasn't for Nick. And good job for, for, for Pete Golden going out and getting a raise and going to Ole Miss where he probably has to work half the hours and spend time with his family. And he can drink out however much he wants to and act like an idiot in his neighborhood like he does in Tuscaloosa. Um, you know, like, the, that's fine. But that's not the standard at Alabama. And that's kind of why I'm saying, like, the deal with uh, the offense is, I know Bill wasn't great, and we probably hated on him a little too much. Lester might think we didn't hate on him enough. But 
if you have a good defensive coordinator, your offense isn't going to have it every single week. But your defense, man, defense travels. Defense is kind of what sets the tempo. And if Saban comes out and hires a guy on offense that can get it done, regardless of name, I'm good with it. But there's only a few names in college football that that are proven guys that can go out and get stops consistently. And all three of those guys, I think, are on Alabama's radar. Um, but I hope it's Jeremy Pruitt. And I think Jeremy Pruitt would be here to stay for a while. And I think Glenn Schumann, after one more good year at Georgia, mm-hmm. is the next Dan Lanning. He's popping off, and he's going to get a power five job because he's coached with Nick. He's coached with Kirby. And that could be an SEC job, ACC job, whatever. It doesn't matter. I think he is going to be one of the, the next wave of young coordinators that instantly become a power five head coach without having to do any G5 work. You know, that, 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 Go ahead, that's, that's so important. I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, every time we talk about coordinators, one of the first couple of things I say is, will he be here three to four years? I would love some, you know, continue. We talk about that all the time. You know, Chase says all the time, when, when is somebody going to come and poach some of Dabo's guys? When are they going to come and poach some of Kirby's coordinators? You know what I mean? I feel like we go through that at Alabama way too much. And I feel like, you know, despite the show calls or whatever, my with Pruitt, I think he'll stay. You know what I mean? Um, I think he'll be here for at least four years, which is all I want. Just four years. I just hate having to go through this process mm-hmm. every Two, two three years, yeah. Two, three. Because you know what? When you find something that works, you want to keep it. If Pruitt and his defense work, you want to keep them. If the next guy, the next OC works, you want to keep them. That only makes that person better, and it makes Alabama better. You know what I mean? So, is, it, is it almost like Saban was just keeping going around just so he didn't have to hire anybody else? It's like, you know, maybe this guy can catch on. Maybe it'll click because, uh, you know, the defense is never great uh, under Golding. It's not like he had one bad year. It was consistently bad. So, and and obviously no other – nobody wanted him to lead their program. So, do you think Saban was like, hey, look, this guy's a pretty okay recruiter. Uh, Maybe it'll just click. Let me just, you know, let him just keep him on staff. Yeah, the Golding hire was – Thinking about thinking back on it, it was, it was weird. Maybe Saban thought, you know, younger mind, you know, young blood, somebody new, you know, would help. He hired Pete Golding yeah. because Bo Davis said he was the next genius in college football. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a real story. Like he's a recommendation from Bo Davis because they worked at UTSA together. That's bizarre. But UTSA. I mean, J-Law says something else that's interesting, that Pruitt comes in, he finishes out Saban's career. If he does that, J-Law, are you okay with giving him the keys? No? No. Then you go. Man, hang on now, hang on now. And this ain't show calls, Pruitt. This is NIL era. He's been, what was he, two years? Is our DC? Is that right? Yeah, two or three. Two years, so two or three years are DC, and then he comes back, and Saban's going to be seventy-one this year or seventy-two. Seventy-two, I think. Seventy-two, I think. So say he's got. I've always said seventy-five, and he's hanging up. So three or four years, he learns the insides and outs. Ah, you know, it wouldn't be bad to have somebody taking over inside the program. 
No, listen, the next guy's going to be set up. And I think that's one of the attractive parts of taking this job. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's Kiffin. And who knows, Kiffin, you know, Ole Miss is in a bad spot. People want a Kiffin talking about it before he took the Auburn job. They just don't have the money to compete now. Uh, so the next guy's going to be set up with NIL. Uh, my my twenty bucks a month comes out the first of it, the first of every month, ready to pay some players some money to come play. So then I think the talent part is not just going to be. It, it could be like we just landed nine five stars. Is the next guy going to be able to do that? No, but can you expect Alabama to get three or four every year forever? Probably now with just our NIL. Yeah, probably. I would guess so. So, I mean, that, I don't know if Pruitt could be that guy. I bet I think you'd be in consideration if he comes out and starts fielding elite defenses again. I definitely do. Um, but I wouldn't be ready. Think about it right now, not I ready to get the it. keys over. But I don't think that it would be the best decision sitting here right now. I tell you right now, I would not mind it at all. That's if, you know, he walks a straight line, does what he needs to do. And, you know, I'm not worried about him cheating in Alabama because, like I said earlier, you don't have to. Yeah, you go to Tennessee pre-NIL. You couldn't recruit there. The stadium's a dump. Um, the campus is horrible. Uh, there's nothing but hills. Who the hell wants to, you know, it's just nothing's enjoyable in that city. The color is a throw up orange, but Hey, uh, you going to give me $6 million to go to Tennessee? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go Vols. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I'll be singing that all day. Give me $8 million. Like Nico, I'm or whatever his name is. to Go to Tennessee. Dude, they never heard of Tennessee. But well, that's that's the hang up with Pruitt right now is he wants his money from Tennessee and Tennessee's trying to say that they have cause right. to fire him. So that's what that's really the that's one of the big hangups in this whole Pruitt thing is it, they don't know how much they'd have to pay Pruitt for him to to be here based off of what his contract and stuff says it at Tennessee based off what the NCAA rules. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I haven't yeah. I haven't looked into it because I'm just I'm not gonna get my hopes up. Yeah, I think I I don't I don't think it was John and Barry, but I was looking to, I was listening to one radio show, and the SEC is supposed to be with Tennessee this week or something, but they don't meet with Pruitt till like April or March or something weird like that. So I don't think this is going to be resolved anytime soon. But they need to go ahead and figure something out because it's just weird to have you know both organizations hanging in the balance like that. So. If it's Todd Grantham, I'm just I might just not watch next year because nah, no, nah. like Pruitt's going to be on staff as an analyst, on field coach, or defensive coordinator. I think that's pretty much a given. Yeah, I mean, um, but if he's an analyst, he can't call plays, so he's useless to me at that point because he can't even do really any on field coaching at practice. He can do film studies stuff. That's even about it. So if he gets an on field role, okay, but. If he's not the coordinator, and the other and the coordinator's not named Glenn Schumann or Jim Leonard or whatever his name is, then I think that we could be in a little trouble. I don't. I mean, what do you do? Those are the only three guys I can think of that get me excited, and the Wisconsin guy does not necessarily get me going as much as the other two. So let's just go ahead and say that we're not going to like any. Two coordinators that they hire for any other position. If it's not Pruitt, we're not gonna like the guy. And as far as OC goes, he's gonna be on the shit list like from day one. So as a fan offense base, is so like easy, him. dude. You can you can find Kenny Dillingham from Memphis, and he can turn your offense into a juggernaut. I mean, yeah, I mean my my yeah, short yeah, list, hundred percent. 
my short list for OC, I said I've got Jeff Levy, Joe Brady, and then anybody that runs power spread. Right. You know, I mean, like I said, I'll look see at it. Tom Herman's playbook. You've got, and, you've got <laughs> finesse OLs. you got finesse running back, finesse quarterback. you got finesse receivers. Why in the hell would you, would you run a bunch set? Uh, it's just frustrating as hell. But, but anybody, anybody that's going to spread it out. I would love that Gus Malzahn at Auburn, the run book. Just the run, running game. Damn the uh, pass. There, there's too much. There's too much H back. Like, and I know there's a lot of read and stuff like that. But I mean, okay, 2013, yeah. But after 2018, no, no, no. But prime Auburn running game. <laughs> what the Trey Mason offense that was pretty good. Yeah, it was. Parson, hell, hell, what's he doing now? Kicking at Blake House. <laughs> Parson's so rich, bro. The Auburn money's good, but it spins everywhere. <laughs> Especially with his daughter's only fans pages. See, like, but Harson was running BOB stuff at Boise, which you can do if you have better players than Absolutely. everybody you play. Than everybody, yeah. I mean, but the talent level, even 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 our recruiting classes, I know they look better on paper than everybody's. They are, but you you just don't have like the talent gap still from what we have and what LSU or A and M and like is not really that wide. Nope. You know, it's not that wide. It is when we if we were to play Kansas or Baylor, but or TCU. But when you're playing in our conference, it's not that wide. So I mean, you can't really you just you can't do what we just did. And I'm not even really okay with going to what Georgia's going to now because as soon as Munkin leaves and their 27 year old quarterback goes to the NFL and somebody's got to run all learn all that crap and all the switching and checking, they're in so much trouble. I mean. Yeah, it's Carson Beck. Ugh. That guy's trash. Ugh. What happened yeah. to that other kid they got? I don't know. But I mean, it's First uh yeah, it, it's if I'm saving, I'm looking around both sides of the ball. Who's doing the most with the least? That's who I'm hiring. Because if you can do that, which a bunch of three stars at TCU, buddy, you can do it for me. I know when he ran up against Georgia and ran up against the wall, but what are you supposed to do? I mean, you got a bunch of tackles rated um you know, seven hundred, yeah, <laughs> 700th overall trying to block Bear Alexander and Michael Williams it just don't match up. You know, if I give you the number one offensive tackle and you do that same thing, you know, let's roll. So that's what he's got to do. But time will tell. Um, you know what I just thought? Worst case scenario, what if, what if we get in so much trouble that we have to let that guy that they just hired from Southern Miss be the defensive nah, coordinator? Nah, I think that's an option. It's not an option at all. No, that's not an option. He's a position coach. He's just, uh, he's just no. He's inside linebackers. Um, He'd be a Galette. And I guess we still got to hire a safeties coach too. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. We still got a safeties coach, which is why I'm thinking like, okay, Pruitt, like if he can't beat the DC or they don't sign off on something, maybe he can slide into just being a. Safety's coach. Who knows what it's going to be? I think if they hire Pruitt as an on-field guy, it's definitely D.C., though. See, I don't see the difference between just being the safety's coach and the D.C. Yeah. On-field's on-field, you know. Yeah. That's what it is. People kept throwing that around, but, yeah. Yeah. Guys, uh, you know, I I would love to say we'll talk to you next week, but you just never know. Um, So, we're going to bounce out of here. Uh, We don't like going over. We like staying around the hour. Um, Gave you some good basketball talks, you know, our – our coordinator wish list 
And, um, you know, whenever something breaks, we'll let you know. Hopefully we can get on here within the next couple of weeks and talk some more basketball. It just depends on how the schedules line up. Maybe we can get Evan Wright or Landon Beeman, two of our, our basketball nuts on here, and they can really break it down for us. Landon can tell us how many boogers Brandon Miller picked this week. Uh, because that dude knows every stat that's ever been recorded. And that dude can tell you how many hairs are on somebody's head. It's insane. But um yeah, um appreciate everybody stopping in, listening. It's it's it was fun to get back on here. I'm glad we could do it. Uh, it's episode seventy eight of the Gunburners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. We're out of here. Talk to you guys later.